All right, welcome in episode 166 of the Hot Grits Podcast. Travis Shadon, did you miss me? Football season is back. Head to Midtown Sports Grill. It's the number one sports bar in Savannah for the number one sports podcast in Savannah. 912-349-6350. That's how you can call ahead. 4521 Habersham Street. Best way to find out about Midtown Sports Grill, follow them on Facebook and Instagram. That's how you get the weekly lunch specials. Uh, find out about the full bar. They got trivia, all the sports, all the TVs, live music, uh, NFL Sunday ticket this football season. Like I said, lunch specials, full bar. Check out the new menu items as well. Seven days a week, Midtown Sports Grill, 11 to 11 is the kitchen, and then the bar stays open a little bit later. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram and call your order ahead, 912-349-6350. Midtown Sports Grill, the title sponsor here on Hot Grits Podcast. All right, let's get after it for a 166th time. Hot Grits Podcast. I hate LeBron James. When God created Adam and Eve, the next thing he did was yell at the referee. Drop them hot grits like me. It's like me. Just like me. But first, some sports. All right, welcome back in to Hawk Reds Podcast. It's been a while, been like a month since our last HGP. Um, just to give you guys sort of a rundown of why, uh, it's because it's super difficult for me to record if I can't get to a place to record and I didn't have a car for like a month, for essentially a month. Now, it's not an excuse. That's just the reason. Uh, that's still weak sauce on my part. But I figure if there's one month to miss, that was probably the, the best one. Early August, late July. Uh, not a lot of sports, but we got football, baby. Football is back. So happy football season to, to all you guys. Uh, happy hurricane season as well. Hurricane Idalia. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't think I've heard it pronounced yet. I've just read about it. Uh, Going to be a lot of rain and wind. That's my prediction. Take the over on inches of rain. The Weather Channel just loves hurricanes, man. I know I've said this on this podcast before, but I, I and it's not just the National Weather Channel. It's not just like the Weather Channel, you know, in practice. It's the local channels. It's the lo- I mean, everyone gets hyped for this shit. It's like their Super Bowl. It's their Super Bowl. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm recording this on Tuesday night, so it's a day before it hits. Savannah, supposedly, Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. So, we'll see. (laughs) But, like, I just hate the build-up to this stuff. All the people, like, going to buy, (laughs) buy, like, hundreds of water bottles and filling up gas cans. Weird. Weird. Check me on this, though, in case it's, like, an all-timer. Um, so I want to start with the Braves before we do football. Uh, we have sort of a lot to get to, I guess, but you know, I'm not going to like go long on Georgia UT Martin or Georgia Southern Citadel. Like I'm just not going to 
go long on that. I have some local high school football stuff too. So it'll be mostly football, but I want to start with the Braves. 86 and 45. They've sort of just been doing the same as they were doing before uh, since we last spoke a month ago, since I last recorded a month ago. Ronald Acuna is still the front runner for, for MVP, but it damn, is it getting close with him and Mookie Betts. And then Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson sort of lurking right behind. Braves-Dodgers are coming up this weekend, so we'll preview that. I'll talk more about Acuna in bets, but they're 86-45 and 45 after Tuesday's win against the Colorado Rockies. They are 31-9-3 in series now. 31-9-3 because they clinched this series against the Rockies. 17-4-1 on the road. Some more stats from the Braves. So that's a pretty impressive series, Mark. But more numbers here. 17-4-1 on the road in series play. 60-25 and 25 versus the National League. 19-8 and eight in the month of August. And 26-16 and 16 since the All-Star break. 10 games over 500. Really, all we were asking for after the All-Star break was play a little above 500. But they've turned it back on here of late, and it's in large part to I'm, listen, when, listen to this number, first off. World Series odds for the Braves. Fangraphs has loved them all year. We've talked about that before. 28% chance to win the World Series. The second place team, 15% Dodgers. 28% chance. The Braves. Insane. The best part about this recent stretch of good play for the Braves is that it's come because of Guys like Marcelo Zuna, who hit his 30th home run on Tuesday night. He's fucking on fire. Best player on the Braves, probably. Just kidding. Not the best player on the Braves. But 30 home runs for Marcelo Zuna. All of a sudden, this guy is like their MVP. And without Albies in that two-hole for a while, like I liked Michael Harris, and he did great when he was hitting up there, but it lengthens the whole lineup. And now there's some pop in the middle behind Riley. <sighs> Boy, Eddie Rosario won NL Player of the Week a couple weeks ago. That's starting to come around. The starting pitching is coming around. 13-3 and three over the last 18 games. Brave starting pitching. Think about that. 16 decisions in 18 games. And they're 13-3 and three in those 16 decisions. Big Chuck Morton rolling. Rolling in August. He won again on Tuesday. Now, look, he beat the Colorado Rockies, which is, you know, they would have a tough time at the Little League World Series. They're not a good ball club. They're not good at baseball, uh, largely because they don't have good baseball players over there in Denver. But, like, the Braves are winning these games and really with easy fashion. Like, Monday night, they kicked the shit out of the Rockies. Tuesday, 3-1. But it never, it's like the 3-1 game felt like it was over the whole time. Rysel Iglesias at the back end hasn't given up a run in like 12 years. He just keeps saving games. Save, 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 save. Um, but yeah, the lineup, dude. Marcelo Zuna has been something else. Ronald Acuna. And again, Albie's back at two. Matt Olson leading the world in homers. But Ronald Acuna at the top. <laughs> wait. Wait, 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 wait. 
I can't start talking Ronald Acuna before talking about those fans on Monday night in Colorado. What in the hell are they smoking out there in Denver? What dudes are trying to take selfies coming from all angles. That was so weird and strange. And that could have been, that could have been an all time moment for major league baseball. It's getting brushed aside sort of mostly because Ronald Acuna was like cool about it. He didn't deck one of those guys, but Jesus, could you imagine if they're out there and they, uh, like, I'm trying to think of some guys that you don't want to run out to like that. Ronald Acuna, he's like, I don't, you don't see him get like pissed too often. Usually when he gets hit by the Marlins, that's when he gets the most pissed. But I mean, I don't know what a guy like Eddie Rosario would have done or a guy like, uh, I mean, I don't, you know, who knows what it would have been like if it would have been a superstar that spoke English. That was why, like, I don't know that Ronald Acuna knew what was happening before that guy got on him. But damn, if that wasn't the weirdest thing ever. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that. It could have gotten away from him. That could have gone very badly. If he would have gotten hurt, the feud between Atlanta and Denver would have just taken a whole new turn. First off, they get our all-star game. It's a phantom all-star game that never was. Then they go hurting our star player. Two guys on the devil's lettuce out there in Denver looking for a selfie with the MVP. Weird. He should win the MVP. I think he's the front runner for the MVP, but this series against the Dodgers with him and Mookie Betts going head-to-head, Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, the number three and four guy in the MVP race. Boy, who knows? Mookie Betts is absolutely on fire. Ronald Acuna has not cooled off. He's going to be the first ever 30-60 guy. He's on pace for roughly 35 and 75. 35 homers, 75 stolen bases. Got 29 homers and 61 stolen bases as I record this. So the fact that he's going to be the first ever guy to do something like that, to do that, first ever, that bolsters his MVP campaign. His numbers are good as is. 335, 417, 987 OPS. Let's see, 79 RBI, 119 runs. But Betts is having the month of his life. Mookie Betts in 25 games in August, 446 average, eight homers, 45 hits. He's got 45 hits in August. 29 runs, 25 RBI, and 25 games. In the month of August, Mookie Betts has struck out 17 times. He has 18 extra base hits. (laughs) He had his 36th home run of the season on Tuesday night. He's going to beat Acuna in homers. He's going to beat him in OPS. He's not going to have more hits. I mean, I think something would have to happen, knock on wood, with Acuna. But if that keeps going like this, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, especially if, God forbid, the Dodgers catch the Braves. 
This is a big series with the Dodgers, man. I mean, I don't know the last time the Braves played a regular season series that mattered this much. This is where they can put the Dodgers away. Four games with the Dodgers Thursday through Sunday. They're one and two against LA with four games to play. So seven games total, somebody's going to win the season series between these two. The Dodgers come in to Wednesday, 82-49. and 49. They're four games back of the Braves' best record in the NL. So a sweep from L.A. Braves don't want that. Braves don't want that. A season split or a split with L.A. 2-2, two and two, the Dodgers would win the season series, but the Braves would still be four games up on them in the loss column in terms of best record. Now, does that matter? I don't know. Who knows? But the Braves haven't had a meaningful series. When you think about it, in the second half, they really haven't had a meaningful series that actually mattered. I mean, we can pretend like they matter, but they don't. Like if the Braves win two or lose two out of three, it really wouldn't going to matter when they're 40 over. But this one coming up, boy, it feels different. This one matters on the West Coast. And, you know, I think if the Braves can go out there and just split, just go out there and split, that's fine. Baltimore in the American League, 83 and 49. So they are roughly the exact same as the Dodgers. About four behind the Bravos. I I mean, I like where the Braves sit. I, I think Freed, Strider, Morton, that's enough in the NLDS. We'll worry about the NLCS, you know, if and when they get there. But for now, let's treat this Dodgers series like a go-get one. Man, if they could come back from the West Coast with three or four from the Dodgers, that would really set the tone. Especially if Ronnie goes out there and... I mean, if any of those four guys, Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, if any of them have like a legendary series, could flip the NL MVP race on its head, but I think Acuna right now still is a nose ahead of bets, but they're going to use that war metric, man. They're going to shove that in our face. That whole series, get prepared right now for Acuna bets side-by-side graphics. Obviously, you know the Olsen and Freeman side-by-side is going to be there, but get prepared now. They're going to hammer that war number down our throats. Then Mookie Betts has a higher war than Ronald Acuna. But you know what they say about war. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Man. I'm pumped about that one. You guys hated that. It's good for absolutely nothing. Fuck your war. Ryder Cup picks. Then college football. Ryder Cup picks are out. Like, no takes here. I'm pumped for the Ryder Cup, though. It's in Rome one month from when you're listening to this, probably at the end of September in Rome, Italy. Uh, Spieth, JT, Fowler, Kepka, Morikawa are the picks. Burns, Sam Burns as well. Uh, some people were talking Keegan Bradley. I mean, I don't know, dude. Like Justin Thomas playing poorly. He gets picked. Ricky Fowler playing nicely but he's down there. Same for Burnsy. Like all those guys are just better than Keegan Bradley in my head. 
and I'd rather go to shit. I'd rather go to war with one of those guys than with Keegan Bradley. And that's no offense to Keegan Bradley, but the Americans have not won on international soil. So a road Ryder cup match. They haven't won since 1993. They've lost six straight. I was looking at the odds and this is before the international team is at like actually completed, but the odds have the Americans favored barely. It's like USA minus 125, uh, Europe plus 135. The European team is stacked, boy. Victor Hovland, John Rahm, kind of nice. It's a nice one, too. Plus, dudes like Cam Smith, like, they're going to be good as shit. And on international soil. We'll see. We'll see. At the end of the month, though, that's going to be fun. Uh, B. Harmon, dude. Brian Harmon on the Ryder Cup. How do I let the little lefty go? He was an auto pick. Um, they are going to give him the business over there in Italy when he does those uh, little waggles. They're going to give him the business. I mean, obviously, we'll talk Brian Harmon at the Ryder Cup when that time comes. I don't think he's brought the trophy here yet, by the way, from the British Open. Took it to Athens, took it to Atlanta. Probably took it to Rinkin. Probably took it to Statesboro. He'll probably uh, take, a, take it through Dublin. All the big metropolises, not going to come to Savannah. No comment. All right, let's talk a little high school football to get us into football season. But first, John Carr, you guys know him. You love him. The number one realtor in the whole world, folks. Certainly the number one realtor in the Savannah area. Give him a call or shoot him a text today. 912-228-0916. Find John Carr on Facebook and Instagram, C-A-R-R. That's the spelling for you in case you forgot. Seaport Real Estate, John Carr, the number one realtor there, uh, like 12 out of the last nine months. He's been Realtor of the Month. Can't make that kind of thing up. 912-228-0916. If you're buying or selling real estate in this area, give John a call or shoot him a text. Nobody knows the area better than him. He's also a top five nice guy all time. Uh, decent top four drafter, but he's a Hall of Fame realtor. So give him a call or shoot him a text. 912-228-0916. High school football is back, folks. Um, didn't do any sort of preview or anything like that, but every week I'll run through my Savannah Six. So the top six teams in the Savannah area, which includes all the Savannah public schools. Um, so eight of those. Uh, the private schools. So private schools, GHSA, GIA, Skiza, all those schools, um, as well as Bryan County, Evingham, South Evingham, and Richmond Hill. So those are the eligible teams. Um, Benedictine, number one, they're 2-0. They went to Julius Chambers, North Carolina last week. Uh, went to Charlotte and beat up on those guys. Look, this Julius Chambers team, I watched a lot of that game like 90% of that game uh, on NF, NFHS. And by the way, I have some problems with NFHS. That's for another podcast, but this paying $12 a month to watch these games and their shit feeds, you can't see the score. 
miss me with that, dude. They have an exclusive contract with the GHSA to broadcast games. And they still do a shit job of it. I mean, get it together. The football season comes at the same time every year. And, and I know that it's maybe not, you know, each school and each situation is different. But it, there is way too much nonsense going on on NFHS for them to have an exclusive contract to broadcast these games. Fuck that noise. Plain and simple. So I guess I didn't wait, but that's the take on NFHS. BC is number one. They went to Julius Chambers and beat up on those guys. BC is really good again. There's no way around it, but Julius Chambers is not the toughest team on the schedule. And, and, you know, they went to the state championship this many times in a row and everyone thought they were going to beat up on BC was never, ever an underdog in that game. I don't really give a shit who you look at. Like nobody was picking Julius Chambers to beat BC outside of maybe that specific area of the world. So, but BC went on the road and handled its business. And I think like going to places like Miami probably helped them in that situation. But it was clear pretty early that BC was better. Even though they got down, they have way more dudes. Way more dudes. Still love Bryce Baker. Wilkes Albert, another pick. Shout out to uh, Jonah Griffin, who's coaching his ass off with the secondary. All of a sudden, BC's defense, like the last 15 games, Going back to last year, is like one of the best in the state. All of a sudden, two years ago, well, let's see, I guess three seasons ago, three seasons ago now, BC had an atrocious defense. Now all of a sudden, they're lights out, and it's an extended period of time. No comments on the Jenkins game to start the year. I mean, that, that game has got to stop being scheduled, period. Calvary's number two. They were off last week. They're 1-0. They won lopsided in their first game against Islands, who might not win a game. Calvary's 1-0. I you know, haven't seen enough of them yet. They're hosting Eagles Landing this week, which I think Eagles Landing is 0-2. And, um, and then Calvary will also host a team from Charlotte. Imagine that the week after that. So they're 1-0, but don't have a lot to say about them yet. They're loaded. They got Blackshear, Coleman, Smith, Merklinger, Arnold, all those guys on offense, um, then, you know, number three, Savannah six, Savannah Christian. Savannah Christian up front on both sides is so big. They are so big up front, and they're young, too. Elijah Griffin and LaDamian Guyton on that, like, on the edges of their defensive line. I mean, it, it looks incredible to watch. One's a junior, one's a freshman, and they're both power five guys. Elijah Griffin, number one player in the country for that class. I mean, he's Nolan Smith if Nolan Smith would have stayed in Savannah. So I don't see how, I don't know how people are going to block Savannah Christian up front. I really don't. And then up front on offensive line, they're pretty big up there too. And they're young up there too. And the Blaze Thomas kid, the quarterback, I haven't seen a lot of them, but the stats against eh, competition, Hilton Head Christian and Islands are not exactly the 85 Bears. The 07 Pats, they're not that. But Savannah Christian, they're going to have another one of these seasons where their point differential is just dumbo because their offense is going to put up a shit ton of points and they're not going to give up a lot. September 15th at Country Day, I guess, is the first test. But I don't know how teams outside of – I mean, even Calvary's going to have a tough time blocking them. But Calvary has enough weapons outside to maybe 
offset that where they can just quick pass. But, uh, you know, Savannah Christian looks good. Richmond Hill, number four. Richmond Hill's one and one, and they're not going to win a lot more games because their schedule is brutal. Super tough. They're going to beat Jenkins this week at home. They're going to beat the hell out of Jenkins. But they're one and one. They took Ware County to the wire last week. Ware County's number one in the state in Class 5A. And it was a 14 7 game. Richmond Hill had the ball in the fourth quarter. It got away from them. They lost 28 to 7. But Richmond Hill's better than I thought they were going to be after losing their leading passer, the leading rusher, and the leading receiver in the region last year. New Hampshire, number five, they're one and zero. They did not play week one. They beat Windsor Forest's ass. No way around it. But they did so without their head coach. You can read about that in the in my newsletter for Connect Savannah, the read option. Uh, you can subscribe connectsavannah.com. But I talked about that this week. Nate Dominance had some reporting from that game that Kyle Hawkman, the head coach for New Hampshire, was not on the sidelines for personnel matter according to their AD at New Hampstead. So I don't know anything further. I texted Brooke Whitlock, the AD, never got a response. Imagine that. Um, But what a strange thing. What a strange thing to not be there. He wasn't at the media day either, the uh, SCCPSS media day. I don't know what's going on. He's expected to be back this week, but New Hampstead – has a really, really good one-two punch at wide receiver and Jalen Hampton and Malachi, or let's see, Malachi Lunnan, Jalen Hampton, I think is it. I mean, they're both seniors. They're both really good. And then if the kid Truel, Rashawn Truel, that's sort of sat behind Pauly Seeley, you know, if he can throw it the way that he showed, I think he only had like three incompletions against Windsor, who's, who's really bad as well. But, New Hampshire looked pretty good. Uh, Country Day number six. I got Country Day at six. Just having seen, having seen them play, like, they look really good. We'll find out how good they are this week against Aquinas. Um, I guess we'll really find out against Savannah Christian. But you know they've beat two subpar teams, but they've won a hundred to nothing so far. They haven't given up a point. Barton Mixon, their junior quarterback, has I think ten touchdowns, zero picks. Dece. it's pretty decent. He threw for 380, 380-something, and five against Pinewood last week. I love Josh Washington. K.J. James is really good as, like, a number two guy, but he's playing like a one. Josh Washington is a guy that's, like, capable of putting up a 1,000-yard season, and he's going to get a bunch of touches. Don't know if – I just don't know if they'll be able to stack up depth-wise, but they have a lot of good players, country eight us, in their one, in their one deep. Uh, Wow. I went a lot longer on high school football than I wanted to, but there it is. The Savannah Six this week. BC, Calvary, Savannah Christian, Richmond Hill, New Hampstead, Country Day, one through six. All right, we're not going to really talk pro football just yet, uh, but just a friendly reminder. Friendly reminder here, nobody gives a shit about your fantasy football team. Just a reminder, don't be the guy that shows people now that it's fantasy football draft season, do not go around showing people who are not in your league your fantasy team. Nobody cares about anybody else's fantasy team. Annual reminder for that. College football. That's what we will talk about for a second here. Georgia, then Georgia Southern. 
Uh, and then the Dave Schultz interview, Locked On Sunbelt podcast, Georgia Southern fans, you can stick around. For that, Talk. we're going to talk all things Sunbelt. Um, Dave from the daily Locked On Sunbelt podcast uh, does a good job of covering the conference as a whole. And we don't really talk Sunbelt on here. We talk Georgia Southern. Um, so stick around for that, Georgia Southern fans. Uh, but Georgia, UT Martin, defending back-to-back national champs. Crazy to even say that out loud. Uh, Georgia, sort of the beginning of a new era, but there's a lot of dudes back. Damn if they don't have a lot of talent back. But obviously the number one thing that everyone wants to see is Carson Beck at quarterback. What's it going to look like? Like UT Martin is not going to really provide a test. This is sort of only a lose scenario for Georgia. Um, But this, to me, I love – these kind of games. Give me this over like a, a tough game, like against Clemson or somebody like that to start the season. I hate sitting on those games all year. Boy, it feels nice to play someone like UT Martin. That's just my opinion, but Georgia's schedule is really manageable. That's a nice way of putting it. Four straight home games to open up. I guess week three against South Carolina is the first quote-unquote test. To me, like... I mean, you always got to worry about Florida, I guess. And then at Tennessee late in the year. Tennessee's the second to last game of the year. Such a weird quirk in the schedule. Um, Look, I don't want to break down Georgia UT Martin. I I am excited to see the transfer receivers come in. I'm excited to see what Malachi Starks looked like after another offseason. I I think, you know, I've loved him since he came out of high school. I love him at the back of Georgia's defense. Kamari Lassiter, like it's great to have secondary guys like Starks and Lassiter back, especially when Georgia's not going to have that. Well, they might. Who knows? They don't have the nose tackle that's a top five pick for the first time in like four years. Um, But hell, they might. He might be on the roster. He might be on the roster somewhere. I mean, again, nobody really cares about anything if Carson Beck comes out and shits the bed. Then that's the only thing we're talking about. Um, But, you know, if he comes out and does anything middle of the road to good, I think there's a lot of other things you can look at and be excited about if you're a Georgia fan. Kendall Milton, Dejon Edwards, or Dejon Edwards, I hate that guy's first name. Um, And... I forget the redshirt freshman who was hurt last year. Is it Andrew Paul? Is that his name? I think it is Andrew Paul, redshirt freshman, but he was hurt last year. Like, I remember how excited people were when he came in as a true freshman, and then he gets hurt. Sort of the same way Branson Robinson gets hurt last week or two weeks ago. He's out for the year. So I, I think it'll be mostly Milton or Edwards Milton, and maybe it is. I mean – like, I guess the third guy in the backfield going into the year would be Andrew Paul. But Georgia obviously has Brock Bowers at tight end. They have good guys coming back at receiver, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, St. Jackson. Like, like, they have dudes, but it's Brock Bowers, who's a low-key Heisman candidate, and it's a trio of running backs. Once again, Georgia doesn't have, like, Gurley, Michelle, Chubb, they don't have those guys back there. But that's how they've won back-to-back national titles. It's with, you know, I guess DeAndre Swift was a dude, but he he still wasn't, like, 
in every down running back at Georgia. Uh, they had Jimmy Cook. So I'm excited to see Carson back. Like it's it's the new era for Georgia football. It's also the first time they're going to play. We're going to play, you know, I guess noted, I guess week zero in college football already happened. So the, you know, the first down, the time not stopping after first downs, this is the first time that a lot of people are going to see that. I don't know what that's going to do. I guess it'll be a few less plays per game, but I don't, you know, I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that Georgia's going to learn much against UT Martin, but damn if it doesn't feel good for them to be back between the hedges. 6 p.m. kickoff too, which is nice. Um, it will be sad though. Sonny Seiler passed away, um, who I guess should earn the HGP Celebrity Death of the Week, him and him and Bob Barker. Let's just give them co-winners there. Um, Kirby Smart actually addressed that early in his press conference. I'll play a clip of that here. Here's Kirby to start the press conference talking about um, Savannah's Sonny Siler, the Siler family that runs the, you know, that breeds the Ugga mascot dogs. Um, he passed away this past weekend. So here's Kirby talking about that this week. And then a few cupcake questions about the game this week against UT Martin. Yeah, I would like to, uh, you know, send our condolences to the Siler family. One of the first people I met when I got here in school was um, Sonny Siler and his family. And uh, obviously the obvious meaning that they've had to the University of Georgia and uh, the UGA Dollar Nation family, they've been incredible. So uh, we're all mourning the loss of him and, uh, and just thoughts with his family uh, during this tough, tough time. Questions? Kirby, in terms of what you look for in the game, and I know you're out there to win the game first and foremost, that's the game plan, that's where you're at, but are there other things in a first game that you evaluate, just some staples or some structure you can give us just for what coach to look for? for I think procedurally, you know, you haven't had the play clock permanently on, you haven't had practice, it's not the same. Um, I think uh, discipline for onsides and, uh, and cadence, um, you know, the little things that usually get you beat turnovers. I mean, the, the first game no different than the last game in terms of things that will get you beat. But I do think uh, first game jitters exist, and uh, you want the players to be able to get comfortable and uh, go out and cut loose and play and get the, get the anxiety out of the way, get the first hit out of the way. And uh, I want to play, you know, our brand of football and, and play really disciplined and not have a lot of penalties and a lot of sloppy mistakes, you know, communication things things that you just beat yourself or trying to avoid. Kirby, a couple of days into the week, uh, what have Dejan and Kendall been able to do to, to this point in the week? Uh, they've both done more. Dejan stayed in a black. Uh, Kendall's been out of a black. Uh, they both are, uh, I mean, they look good. We're giving a lot of reps to a lot of other guys because we got other guys to get prepared for. But um, they've both been in Indy. They've both done drills. Uh, they both worked you know, during the run periods and the pass periods. So I feel good about both of them. Coach, at what point during camp or during the preseason leading up, do you kind of feel the sense that these guys are kind of tired of practicing against each other? It's time to play somebody else. Well, with the way things are now, I mean, you could feel that way in spring. You could feel that way in the summer. I mean, we we do so many uh, glorified walkthroughs. We try to change up and break up the monotony, but I can't pinpoint a day per se because I think that you have to uh, 
be willing to go against each other and not letting it become monotony. And like I told everybody, I, I told them today, I said, that one rep of inside zone that you take today has to be the greatest rep of inside zone you've ever taken. That one stunt step you take as a D lineman has to be the, the best one you've ever taken. And um, you don't, you know, repetition is the mother of all skill. And you've got to get a lot of reps to get good at it. All right, so there's Kirby from Athens. Um, UT Martin, one note on them, Daylon Dotson is their best player. He's a junior defensive end who wears number one. He's from Jenkins. He's a preseason FCS All-American. Daylon Dotson, so shout out 912. In an ideal world, he gets like four or five sacks and Georgia wins by 40. That's the ideal scenario. So look out for number one. Number one at the end. That's a fit, dude. I love that. I love that. Um, dogs gonna win by a hundred, but they're twenty nine and one in their last thirty. Seventeen game question mark winning streak. Pretty freaking good. Pretty freaking good. I think Kirby is something stupid in in September too. I think he's like twenty eight and one, twenty nine and one, something like that. So he doesn't really lose a lot in September. Georgia versus UT Martin. Saturday night at 6 p.m. Georgia Southern versus the Citadel, also Saturday night at 6 p.m. Uh, I think Georgia Southern, once again, like, I don't know that we're going to learn a lot. Hopefully, Georgia Southern comes out and puts them away. Like, the Citadel, there's not even a spread on the game, I don't think. Uh, they're not, it's not like they're the same rivals that they used to be. So, Georgia Southern, hopefully, they don't play with their food, but there's a lot of new guys that they're going to break in. And once again, I love these little cupcake games to start the year. Georgia Southern has 27 transfers that came in and 24 true freshmen. So 52 math major, 52 new guys on the roster. It's half the roster. Half the roster. I think you carry or dress, what do you dress? 110? Either 110 or 120. I think it's 110. So basically half the roster new. The offensive line for Georgia Southern should be the strength this year. There's going to be probably a true freshman at center, and then the rest of the guys are going to be really, really experienced, including Brian Miller, uh, who's in his 19th season uh, at Georgia Southern, looking to tie Todd Bradley, Todd Bradley, Glenn uh, Moses Smith for most Georgia Southern seasons ever. Brian Miller uh, has had four coaches at Georgia Southern. It's so crazy. Uh, I think for the, I'm not going to break down Citadel. Uh, I will say opening week, Georgia Southern, I guess, look out for the sussies. Look out for the suspensions late. I don't know if that's going to be a thing this year, but you know, hopefully Caleb Hood, I think in the first two games against uh, Citadel and UAB, both 6 p.m. kicks, both in Statesboro. Um, hopefully he can get that all-time receiving record out of the way before they head to Wisconsin. And at Ball State, so, you know, you want him to get it at home, 111 yards. You would think if Caleb Hood ha doesn't have that record, something's gone wrong with Georgia Southern's offense. But with them, I'm really excited. Just Like, I think we know out wide it's Hood. And you have a, a bunch of other guys that can contribute, including Marcus Sanders. Obviously, Derwin Burgess Jr. is back. Like, they have a bunch of dudes that are guys out wide. Uh, Keaton Upshaw and Bo Johnson should be good tight end options, above average tight end options. You would think, like, I think we're all just plugging in Davis Brin. Like, because everything with Georgia Southern is you have to assume that the quarterback's going to be pretty good. 
Like, I don't know if, like, do you expect him to put up Kyle Van Trees numbers? If he does, then Georgia Southern could go better than six and seven, seven and six. Because God, man, the defense had better be better. They bring in a young defensive coordinator, Brandon Bailey. You know, it's the same thing we heard last offseason, though. You know, brand new change, all this stuff, all this experience. So, you know, under a new defensive coordinator, blah, 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 blah. And they were shitty again. Somehow Will Smith or um, uh, what's his name? Will Harris gets a, gets a uh, uh, head coaching or NFL job out of that defensive coordinator job last year. Sheesh. Georgia Southern can't be worse on defense than they were last year. Can they? Like 33 a game? It, we've heard it all offseason. Clay Helton, four and four in one-score games last year. There's a bunch of one-score games potentially on this schedule. Like you look at it, I got them. Um, I got four guarantees, three and one. Like guaranteed win the Citadel. Guaranteed win home against ULM. Guaranteed win at Texas State. Those are I'm marking those as guarantees. I hope they beat ULM at home. I hope they can win at Texas State. They should win to open the season versus Citadel. One guaranteed loss at Wisconsin. Not saying it's a guaranteed loss, but that's a ranked team that's not Nebraska. Okay? So let's be realistic about that. Then the toss-ups begin. UAB at Ball State. Home Coastal Carolina at Jimmy Madison. Home Georgia State at Marshall. Home Old Dominion at App State. Those are all games that they could win or lose. So, like, when I look at it, I see six and six again. That's what I see. But it would be nice if they could get to November, Texas State, Marshall, Old Dominion, App State. If they can get to November with their destiny in their own hands in the Sun Belt, that'd be awesome. That hasn't happened a lot. You know? And I don't know what we should expect from the team as a whole, but like six and seven and seven and six is not going to be cool forever. I know Clay Helton and everyone knows that, you know, he'll tell you about his cup of coffee. You're looking at the uh, six national titles. God, man, he's used that line a bunch. When I have my cup of coffee in the morning and I stare out the window and I see the six national title flag, we've heard that. But like, I don't know what we should expect. Half the roster is new. Most of the roster are freshmen, 37% of the roster. Shout out Brian Johnson, game notes, 37% of the roster for Georgia Southern freshmen, either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. It's great, though, what they have returning. We'll have to wonder about quarterback, but in the backfield, Jalen White, Omari Arnold, and then also, like, Terrence Gibbs was a guy that was a dude. Out of high school, like it's going to be exciting to see him if he's healthy. I don't, you know, I'm not like around the team anymore. I don't see practices and stuff like that. But if he's anything of what they thought he would be before the injury, and then you have Jalen White, who Clay Helton absolutely adores, and why wouldn't you? And then Arnold, that's like a change of pace guy. That's pretty nice behind an, an offensive line that's played a billion snaps. God, just get the defense to just be middle of the road. They can't be number 108 again. Like, could they be a top 70 defense? Is that too much to ask? Top 75? Just keep it in it, and then hopefully Georgia Southern's offense, it's a lot to ask to replicate what they did last year, but they have the weapons, it seems like, to do it. Um, So, 
you know, uh, oh, one more thing of note. Seven wins for Georgia Southern gets them to 350 all time. And look, if they can finish this year good, head into next season with the expanded playoffs, last year of the 14 playoff. So next year, they actually, every team can legitimately say they have a shot at the big dance. That's not the case right now. Like, you, you know, I think Georgia Southern wins every game on their schedule. They're not in. So, like, they can't get in. But next year, moving forward, they have momentum. If they can win eight games, something like that, nine games, and then you have dudes coming back, maybe you land a, a quarterback, another quarterback in the portal. You know, I don't know. They have, like, six quarterbacks on the roster, and five of them have never taken a snap at Georgia Southern. I don't know if you can just keep doing that. And I don't know if the guys on the roster, like they like the Dallas kid, but you know, if he was, seems like he would have won the backup over French, at least if he was anything to write home about. I know they bounced him around. Just don't know that it's sustainable. Let's see though. Let's see what it looks like. UAB at home week two, I think. That one in the next, um, or Wisconsin lost week three at Ball State at home against Coastal Carolina. A lot of show-me games early for Georgia Southern. Uh, we're going to talk more about Georgia Southern and the rest of the Sun Belt coming right up with Dave Schultz. So until episode 167, thank you for listening. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. The Lady and Sons Restaurant, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Crits Podcast, 102 West Congress Street, Lady and Sons. You guys probably know the name. They have their restaurant, obviously, at 102 West Congress Street, but then the store right next door, literally right next door to the restaurant, also on Congress Street, open seven days a week, 11 to 9, 912-233-2600, 912-233-2600 is the number for Lady and Sons. Find them on Facebook and ladyandsons.com. All right, Dave Schultz joining me now from the Locked On Sunbelt podcast. Uh, we're fresh off the Sunbelt Conference football media days. Well, I guess we're not fresh off of those uh, anymore, but we're heading into the start of the 2023 season, and I want to preview – the Sunbelt Conference, and we talk a lot about Georgia Southern on this podcast. We do not talk a lot about the rest of the Sunbelt, but I figure we might should. So, Dave Schultz, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're the Sunbelt expert for Hot Grits Podcast now. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Check is in the mail, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We have a couple <laughs> in, we have a couple interns on staff that would that would argue their checks have been in the mail for a while. Right, right. I hear you. I hear Dave, that. Dave, what did you what did you think of the Sunbelt Media Days? Did you have any like surprising takeaways or was it for you sort of we heard what we thought we were going to hear? Yeah, because, you know, the, the preseason poll is done by the coaches and, you know, they're just starting to try, try and figure out their team. Some of them, you know, got a whole lot of mess of players trying to figure them out. Others, you know, like South Alabama kind of have an idea of what their team is. I'm not sure they know what the other teams are. I think they basically do a chalk based on the previous season. So I don't think uh, – I wasn't really surprised on on the picks. Uh, the the of media days are great because – I don't know if they're intense, but it's two long days for the teams. Like the second day, 
I was in there just before eight o'clock and Coastal Carolina was doing, you know, an interview with the uh, Arkansas State folks at like five of eight. And I didn't get to talk to Coastal Carolina until like 10 of three, right before they went on stage. That's just it's a long day. You just and you're repeating yourself over and over and over again. Uh, and I think I think it's great because, you know, we get everybody. We talk to every single coach. Uh, I talk to most of the players from every single team. So uh, I like uh, Sunbelt Media Days and I think they do a great job. And it's, it's two days in and, and get out and it's only two hours away in New Orleans and it's going to stay there for a little bit. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, something tells me it'll be in Louisiana for a while, in New Orleans for a while, probably. I mean, um, that's kind of centrally located. I guess you could go to Biloxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess those, in, those of us in Georgia might, might argue Atlanta sometimes. Could we get Atlanta like once every four years in the rotation? That's not a bad idea. That's way east. Way yeah, east. I know, I know. But, but we exist out here too, Dave. Sure, sure. Big fan of Atlanta. What did you think of what, what do you think of the uh, coaching crop or the crop of coaches in, in the Sun Belt as it currently stands? Uh, there's to me, there's like I don't know that there's like the personalities that there used to be, the Jamie Chadwells, uh, you know, of the world at Coastal. But I, I, like I think the Sun Belt right now, it looks to be like the coaches are in as good of a place as they've ever been as far as the quality. Do, would you agree on that? I, I would agree on that. I, I think we got something special probably brewing in Texas State with G.J. Kinney. You know, I don't know how many of these guys actually have NFL experience, but he's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Jamie Chadwell was probably a reflection of his team as much as his team was a reflection of him, right? I mean, he, he was cocky because his team was good. So yeah. it's easy easy to be easy to be that way. And, you know, Kurt Signetti is that way. Kurt Signetti does not lack confidence in what he's doing up there at JMU. So that's refreshing. Uh, but you do have some up and coming coaches. Uh, Ken Womack is, is, you know, they're looking like it could be a great season for South Alabama. Uh, John Summerall, you know, ruined it for all of the other coaches by winning a conference championship in his first year. Uh, and then you have some veteran coaches, Butch Jones uh, and, uh, and Terry Bowden got to start to win, right? I mean, they got to be, Arkansas State has to at least be competitive. He's got. He's had like two great recruiting classes, and I think he's ready to get his third. Uh, and uh, and they just haven't translated to wins on the field just yet. Maybe his first class, you know, from you know when he first got there, ended up being a pretty good class. Those guys may start to get on the field. So we'll look for Arkansas State to be a little bit better, and we'll see if if ULM could be a little bit better uh, as well. But no, overall, I think that I think we got a, a good set of coaches. Charles Huff is a good football coach at Marshall. He's a good football coach. And I think oh, you may yeah, see. He is, man. I could listen to him talk all day. And I don't think Clay Helton's going anywhere for a while. I don't think Clay Helton is going. I think he has found his spot. If, if he can, you know, find a little magic and have a quarterback there that's there for more than one year, uh, he's going to find he's going to find some some success at Georgia Southern. Right. I mean, I heard. I think he, I, Either he's talked to somebody else in a podcast or somebody else. I just read this somewhere that he would spend, he would sleep in his office in LA because by the time he was dealing with traffic, it was, he was spending too much time in traffic. Yeah. How much traffic is in Statesboro during the week? What's rush hour in Statesboro? 15 minutes. So yeah, not a lot, you know? So uh, I, I think there's some really good coaches and, and I think you're going to see some of these coaches, you know, maybe pull a Billy Napier. 
maybe wait. You got to be careful because Billy came back to a really good situation and he knew that. Uh, but I think, I don't think he will make and or Charles Huff are, are going to move on just to move on. And plus, yeah, I mean, the, the, the college landscape, that's changing every five minutes anyway. So uh, I, th- I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, if they continue to have success. You know, do they wait? Do they wait for the job that they really want or do they? Yeah, I mean, do they have to move on to the AAC? I, I don't yeah, know if they do anymore. I don't, I don't know that. And I haven't really thought about this before now, Dave. Like maybe they're all trying to you know, get their ducks in a row before the playoffs expand. Because when those playoffs expand, Mm -hmm. if a team out of the Sun Belt can put together, you know, a zero loss season or a one, you know, a loss to a power five team and then run the table and make it in as like the 12 seed in a 12 team playoff, right? that coach is going to be, and then God forbid, win a game, that coach will get national attention that the conference has never had before because there's never been a 12 team playoff before. So Absolutely. And that's, and that's right. not that far away. You know what I mean? Right. Also, this is what's going to happen. You get you get to a power five team and you have a 12 team playoff. Now you don't have any excuses. Yeah. Now, you know, James Franklin can have all the excuses he wants at Penn State because only four teams make it. Right. My guy, Billy Napier, can have a bunch of excuses at Florida. Got to turn that thing around. And I think you will. But, you know, only four teams make it. You got a bunch. You got a, you got some good reasons. 12 teams make it. You don't have any excuses. You missed that playoff a couple of years in a row. It's going to be a problem for some of these power five schools, right? I mean, if, you know, if you're winning some belts and maybe you get to the playoff and you end up making seven figures, where are you going? Right. If it's also, I think it's going to get to 16 teams eventually. I think, you know, this point, is yeah. only a 12 team. It's only a 12 team playoff for 24, 25. Right now, I think it'll be 16 by the time we get there. And so, you know, Sunbelt may be okay. You can fill your stadium. You know, where are you going? <laughs> and they seem to be like, like I'm, I get so sick of talking about conference uh, expansion and conference realignment. I'm just not, I get that it's important. Oh, I but love I it. just, what'd you say? <laughs> I love it. Really? Do you really? Oh, yeah. So here's the, like, I understand that it's important. I just, I, I don't. To me, it's like I'm going to watch no matter what. Like, it doesn't matter so much to me what conference these teams play in. But I do understand that it affects the student athletes. Where do you think the Sun Belt stands right now, given everything that's happened in the last uh, two weeks and even the last two years? Well, it yeah, well. It seems like they're in, like, a good limbo they place. Are. Yeah. They are. And they're going to have to they're going to have to have somebody pick off some teams from the AAC to go to the Big 12 is what's going to happen. I can't imagine they go to the Pac-12. But if all of a sudden you start picking off some teams from the AAC to go Power 5, then does the Sun Belt raid a couple other teams to come with that? Uh, in the comments that I've had about the Sun Belt expansion in, on Lockdown Sun Belt episode, a lot of people were saying Florida, and I don't think Florida is the right spot. I know they're trying to get into the TV market in Florida, but nobody in Florida watches FIU right now. Nobody in Florida watches USF right now. So that doesn't really help. Maybe, I guess it could help recruiting-wise, right? Come, you know, you'll yeah. be able to watch your kid play once in a blue moon. But I, I would stay out of Florida. I, You know, again, the teams that have been mostly mentioned, you know, are East Carolina would be good. Memphis would be good. Tulane would be great. And Tulane wants no part of being in the conference with the Cajuns. I know that. Uh, I think La Tech would be good, but... If you put in La Tech in Western Kentucky, you'd get Sunbelt heads exploding all over the place because they didn't want any part of the Sunbelt before. 
and I'm not sure that somebody wants to rescue them now. Yeah. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of possibilities out there, but the Big 12, or the ACC for that fact of the matter, is going to have to pluck some teams first, and then the Sun Belt can go in uh, and, and get some teams. It seems to me when, when we talk expansion, we never talk, and maybe there's a reason for this, all those teams we, you just mentioned, Dave, we never talk about from underneath the FPS level expanding that way, like Kennesaw State, for instance, um, and there's right. other, like power. I guess there's a reason for that, and is, that's just because of the athletic budgets at those schools. Like, why would, it, why yeah. would a conference never think to, you know, to bring teams up that way? Because, you know, there's well, you need the facilities. Of, yeah. You need the facilities, right? And JMU already had to wait two years to play in a bowl game and win a conference. Uh, you know, they were fortunate. I don't know if they consider them fortunate. They played a full FBS schedule. When ODU moved up from FCS to FBS, they only played half a FBS schedule. So you got to have the facilities. And JMU already had the facilities. They already spent their money. They were yeah. already a group of five school. I don't, you know, a lot of some of these lower schools, you know, they're only seating 10 to 12,000, which is probably all they need. But all of a sudden, then you got to build a 25,000 seat stadium. And do you have the funding for that? And, you know, I mean, South Alabama has some outstanding facilities. They need a workout room. They need one more piece to the puzzle. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they're sitting out in kiddie pools after practice. And I'm not sure they're doing <laughs> that outside because that's not helping. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Is this the best South Alabama's been preseason in your mind in a, in a long time? I mean, they looked uh, like really good on paper. Yeah, I don't know if they're looking all that good preseason. I'm, you, maybe you can help me. They're over under a seven and a half. I don't get it. Roy I mean, was but, picked ahead of them, uh, you know. All Troy lost was the all-time NCAA leading tackler. That's all. That's it. And the center. So, <laughs> uh, I, I would pick South Alabama to win the conference. Uh, their toughest games are all on the road. At Tulane, at Oklahoma State, at JMU, and at Troy. Uh, uh, but uh, anything less than 10, 10 wins for South Alabama was a disappointing season. They have, they have a legit shot because of who the teams are playing. They have a legit shot at pulling off what the Cajuns did a couple of years ago, losing just once. Uh, maybe a UCF, maybe a Cincinnati. I don't know if they can get into the playoff. That may be a little bit of a pipe dream. But Tulane has some people to, to replace, and they're getting Ole Miss the week after South Alabama, although I don't know if you can call your opening game a trap game. Uh, they get Oklahoma State, and although that's a few games in, Florida, uh, Oklahoma State had a ton of uh, guys leave the program. Uh, they just have a they have a shot at doing something special. South Al South Alabama should be the team to beat this year in the Sun Belt, as far as I'm concerned. Could be a little bit homer on my part, as I was there for three and a half years. But I think uh, I think South Alabama, to me, almost to me, is the clear favorite. Because some teams out out east, who's their quarterback? Or we at least we didn't know heading into camp. They may know now, but we didn't know heading into camp. Well, it's almost – and you're right, Troy is first place in the West preseason, 92 points, South Alabama, 85 points. Um, I've always thought this, that that voting should be transparent. It should just be you put your name by the votes and everyone gets to see who everyone voted for. I think that would fix a lot of the voting problems. What, what do you think about that idea? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't think that's a huge scandal, right? I mean, they just picked – coaches just picked the defending champions. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's it. So, I mean, they didn't, no one went out on a big limb. Yeah, but Dave, uh, you're not looking, we, sometimes we need July storylines, man. And if we get the coaches' names by these oh, teams. 
Oh, you're looking to create content. I'm all about that. That's why I like all the movement in the in the uh, in the conferences. Yeah, yeah, if I look at if I look and see Clay Helton picked, uh, you know, App State to finish seventh in the East, that's uh, oh. that's at least 500 words. At least yeah. three podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, all right, a couple more for you, Dave. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, sure. Earlier, earlier you talked about Clay Helton and, and the quarterback, and kind of if he can get a quarterback yeah. to stay there. Do you think that because he's been asked that and everyone's wondering out loud, like, is he just going to do this forever? Like just get a redshirt senior for one year. Um, And he talks about the depth, but the depth is all upperclassmen. Um, And the same thing really is outside the quarterback position at Georgia Southern um, too. So I I don't know, I guess for people and fans of the Sunbelt, do they view Georgia Southern's like, experiment away from the option as like a success right now, or is it still a wait and see because of the lack of a. No, I think it was an absolute success last year. I think what happened though, uh, I think the South Alabama lost. They lost to South Alabama twice is what happened. They blew a big lead to South Alabama at home. Yep. And then that carried over. And I think it was maybe a Thursday night game against the Cajuns. And they just looked like they didn't want to be there. They looked like they did not have enough time to get over the loss to South Alabama, and they, they let that game affect it. Instead of having, you know, of the cliche, the 24-hour rule, they lost the same game twice. Oh, yeah, they got uh, they got boat raced on 36-17, I think. Yeah, they just they didn't, they didn't want any part of that game. Was it the Thursday night? Am I remembering that? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. All right, so it was actually a short turnaround. Uh, so if you can avoid that mess, uh, I think, that, you know, I mean, Caleb Hood, right, I mean, you go from like forty catches to like eighty catches, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, they so get so many of their he games. All, 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 he went from what did he go from? He went from forty-one catches to eighty-seven catches. So he's going to have another big year. He's going to try to go from second team all Sun Belt to first. Uh, I, I think they got a good situation at Georgia Southern, but you got to somewhere along the way you do have to have a quarterback for two years in a row. I, I think so too. Like in order for it to be sustainable, but. For me, like, so they went six and seven last year. They, right. you know, they, they've basically been a barely above 500 team for the last five years outside of one season. Um, right. Like when you look at their history. And this year, the expectations, at least around Statesboro, don't seem to be that all that high. Again, it's basically make a bowl game, win more games than you lose. But, sure. you know, I don't know that they're that far away from being at the bottom of the conference or at the top of the conference. And a lot of the preseason polls and magazines, and they sort of don't know what to do with Georgia Southern either. And I think it's because half their team is from the transfer portal and from power five schools. They're just a very confusing team, you know, in a lot of different ways. Well, I I do think there is separation in each division. I think in the East, in the East, you know, whatever order you want to put them in, right? JMU, Marshall, F State, and Coastal. And then you have the two Georgia teams and ODU. In the West, you have South Alabama, Troy, the Cajun Southern Miss. And then you have ULM, Arkansas State, and Texas State. So the top four teams in each division, then there's a little delineation. All right. Um, I don't really know what to expect from ODU and Texas State because they have all brand new offenses, brand new quarterbacks, whole, you know, Texas State's got a new coaching staff. Uh, but I think, first of I think all, I don't really to expect them to be bad though. Right. Like, I mean, until they I mean, show us that they're that, good, you would think that, but I mean, are we playing Malik Hornsby, right? right. The kid 
from Arkansas, or are we playing 10-year senior T.J. Finley, who's played the at Texas LSU? State, Texas State Oregon. has always had a quarterback in the wings that, that right. they're waiting to play, it seems like. Right. Is it going to be that? Uh, that's good? true. Like, it just that's always – and then you look up, and they, and they won two games. I don't know. Correct, correct. Uh, as far as Georgia Southern goes, I, you know, I just don't – I don't hold the bowl game against them. Right. I, you know, I don't know if there's a big difference between seven and six and six and seven. Obviously, you want to win the bowl game. Yeah, no, But, uh, you know, the, the only game that mattered last year, Georgia Southern, was the last one. Uh, and Nebraska, obviously. Uh, that was important. But, you know, beating App State, that was that was such pure, unadulterated and, and maybe it's a cliche, but joy. You usually see some coach speak after a game. But I mean, Clay Helton was just so thrilled to win that ball game. Oh, I mean, my he's God. told this to every- He's told this to everybody. He's right. He's like, I'm in midfield and I'm looking up in the stands and wondering where everybody went. And then I looked around me and they're like, there's all around me. So it just was, you know, cause these coaches work so hard and it's gotta be so much fun. I can't, I can't, you know, you're looking at that ball game. You can't wait until that ball game this year. F state's got that game circled on right now. So. Yeah. That's I, always I, a good yeah. one. That one in Georgia state too. I think that's the one Clay Helton last. That's probably the one game. Um, and maybe Louisiana on that Thursday night. That the Georgia State loss, uh, probably the one game that Clay Helton wishes well, he had back. Well, he wishes he had. Yeah, no, no, no. He wishes he had the South Alabama ball game. He was up like seventeen seven, fast. Yeah, and but weren't they like ten point dogs? I don't care what dog dog. I don't care what the spread said. They were seventeen seven. It was thirty one to seventeen, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so. Dave, um, you watch if you watch enough Georgia Southern you, games, blown losses like that, uh, just you know, well, not, you don't get too surprised by them. Well, Carter Bradley threw an interception, and Van Trees gave it right back in that ball game. Yeah, so, yeah, that's uh, when they, everyone they could, wanted to switch back to the option after that. And they right, right, and they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't stop Ladainian Webb, right? I mean, two hundred forty seven yards, they just kept on handing it off. It was almost like Carter Bradley was yelling out. He wasn't yelling out the Mike linebacker. He was yelling out. We're running left, guys. We're running left on two. You can't stop us. Hut, hut. Yeah, Georgia Southern's defense. Well, LaDainian, I mean, he was running through everybody all year long. But but Georgia Southern's defense last year, Dave, was atrocious. So tough to watch. So tough to watch. Well, that's a good spot to to look at. Uh, They have an interesting schedule to begin with, right? I mean, they got two winnable ball games at home. Then you get Wisconsin. Uh, an early morning ball game, and then uh, I think it's State. those home games: UAB, ULM, Georgia State, ODU. Those are the toss-ups. All those at home. I think they need I mean, to do Georgia, well in this. Could Georgia Southern start the season three and one? Yeah, I think they. Yeah, you would. They need to start two and two, and three and one would be dynamite. I think. Right. Because I you look at the end of the schedule, and it's. At Marshall, yeah, at yeah. App State. I don't like that. I don't like either one of those. All right. I'll be the first to say I don't know anything about Ball State. Are they any good? All no, right. but I just don't like their logo, no. so. Oh. <laughs> Is that that's, – uh, that's, that's statistically based. That's right. Uh, they are on a three-game losing streak. They lost to Toledo, Ohio, and Miami of Ohio to end the season. And so Georgia Southern did beat them last year by 11 in Statesboro. Okay. That All right. Counts. Well, Dave, hey, you got so, anything else, man? No, thank you so much for having me. I think it's going to be a fascinating Sunbelt season. Again, watch out for South Alabama. We'll see what the Cajuns can do. I'm doing this pseudo-esque 
preview with uh, expectations versus reality. And the expectations for like a South Alabama are through the roof, but their tough, four toughest games are on the road. Um, expectations are always high for the Cajuns because of what's happened over the last decade. But they are coming back with a quarterback that's never played an entire season and is coming back really soon off of ACL surgery. So the expectations are high, but reality, it's like a Debbie Downer segment is what it is. And I don't like it, but <laughs> the reality is, it's the reality is, is, you know, you're banking on Ben Wolders to be healthy and play more than he's ever played before. Um, so we'll see what, uh, how the Cajuns do, but I, I think Clay Helton's a good fit in Statesboro. He's had that chance at the power five, made a lot of money, got paid to not work. And if he can find that quarterback to be there for a couple of years, you know, he's going to be in good shape. All right, Dave, I'm going to let you go, but you, you said South Alabama for the conference, so they're going to win the West. Who you got in the East? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, Thank you. I, I'm a big Marshall fan. Uh, Cam Fancher seems to be impressive. But, boy, what, I guess if there was one thing that I questioned was the disrespect that Grayson McCall got. Mm-hmm. I mean, the three-time Sunbelt player of the year was picked third. Can you tell me who the App State quarterback is? Can you tell me who the JMU quarterback is? And you're picking against Grayson McCall? I'll go, to me, I'll go chalk with that one. I know Tim Beck is in his first year as a head coach, so that's a thing. Don't make any mistake about it. That's a thing. But I'm going to trust the guy who's won the player of the year the last three years. Yeah, me too. That's why we need transparency in the voting. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Dave Schultz, uh, Locked on Sunbelt podcast. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282.